invite you to open your Bible tonight and turn to the Gospel of Hebrews. Uh, it is Gospel all the way through. It's not called, of course, that, but the book of Hebrews, <coughs> chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to begin reading at verse 11, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 6, begin reading at verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, we thank you for this nugget of truth and uh, the precious comfort it gives, and we pray, Lord, that your spirit would minister uh, these truths and comforts to our hearts tonight, that we would love Jesus Christ, and that we would have, Lord, the, a strong encouragement um, to patiently wait uh, for the promise that you've given to us and sealed to us with an oath. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight we're looking at um, an anchor for assurance. If I were to ask you, uh, what, what does God want you to have? What does God want in, uh, you, to, you to experience in your life? I think uh, our thoughts would go to, well, God wants us to be holy. Uh, he wants us to be obedient. He wants us to, to uh, believe. Um, he wants us to be uh, kind and, and loving. And uh, those are the sorts of things we might, we might point to. But our text tonight shows us that uh, one of the things that God is eager for us to have is conviction, absolute assurance of his love for us and his purposes for us uh, in Jesus Christ. And so our, our text tonight is, uh, is about having that assurance as an anchor for your soul and having that in the midst of difficulties and trials. I um, When I was back in seminary, I... Um, we were as poor as could be, obviously, and, and uh, a fellow student came along and asked me if uh, I'd be interested in a business opportunity, and uh, I was intrigued, and so we, we sat down for lunch, and, and it was Amway, which I knew very little about, though I was from West Michigan, and um, it, it, I pretty quickly figured out it's not going to be something I was interested in, but I was intrigued by their marketing strategy, where they would uh, tell people to uh, think about what do you want? Uh, and picture it. In fact, they told people to cut out images, all right, from a from a from magazine of of the ideal lakeside cottage 
that, that you want to have that cottage or the, or the boat you've always sort of uh, wanted to have but never dared dream you could have. They wanted to raise people's aspirations to, to, to dream big and, and to want things and then to go to work with the confidence that, their, um, that Amway could, could provide them what they hoped for. Well, um, there's a lot wrong with that, with that not the least of the, the, the uh, incredible materialism of it. However, uh, Amway was onto something. We're motivated by our vision for the future, what we hope for. And we all do hope for things. We hope for ordinary things. We hope for, uh, for health. Uh, or at least um, illnesses that we can manage. We hope for family and, and for a, a, a great marriage and for healthy uh, children and, and grandchildren. We hope for some success in our career or uh, we hope for the attainment of some comfort in life. Those are the things that we, that we sort of hope for. But from time to time, things will come along in life that, that knock your ship a little sideways. Uh, where you, the ballast shifts in some sense, and some great trial or, or some, uh, some um, hard news comes along that you did not expect. I've got a book in my library called The Life We Never Expected, written by a young couple who uh, the Lord has uh, given a, a severely handicapped child to, and how that's impacted their life, and what that did with their, with their understanding of God. We're experiencing uh, some of this a bit with, uh, with Randy's diagnosis of cancer, stomach cancer, and um, uh, it doesn't look good. He's 50 years old. Uh, four children, none of them are, are yet married. Three girls, one boy. Um, it's not what we had hoped for. Uh, and so what do you, what do, you do? What do, you, what do you, uh, how do you kind of hold things together when your hopes have been destroyed? Uh, the writer here is writing to people who've experienced this firsthand. Uh, there are people who've come to faith in Jesus Christ and they've lost the things that normal people hope for. They were expelled from their family because of their Christian faith. They, they, many of them lost their homes. They lost their jobs because of their Christian faith. And, and, uh, and, and at first they accepted it well. In chapter 10 we read that they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their goods. But but what initially, in, in their faith and their enthusiasm for Christ was easy, has become hard. And they realize that the things they've lost are not going to return. They're not going to get their family back. They're not going to get their, their wealth back. And, and, and it's become hard. And, and the writer is writing to encourage them then to lay hold of what do you really want? What are you hoping for? How do you continue on in this pilgrimage? Don't give up. That's a, that's a lesson that goes throughout uh, the book of Hebrews. Don't give up on this pilgrimage. And, and in order to help them, he shows them the, that they're going to need a rock-solid assurance, a rock-solid conviction of God's love for them and God's purposes for them. So he's writing here, in this, in this part particularly, the whole book is about assurance, but he's writing here specifically about, um, he's eager to see them confident uh, in the promises of God. Verse 11 and, and 12. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have the full assurance of hope until the end. He wants them to have a full assurance. But he gives them, you, you have to give people reasons for assurance. You can't just say, I, you know, we really hope you're, you're confident and you're confident and convinced about these things. You've got to give people reasons for confidence, reasons for conviction. And that's what the writer does so wonderfully in our text here tonight. Uh, the, the three points tonight will be God's oath and God's desire and our assurance. God's oath, God's desire, and our assurance. 
Well, how does the writer go about uh, giving them reasons for assurance? He reminds them of God's oath. Uh, in verse, uh, verse 13, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear, by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Uh, when you think about how does God create confidence in the lives of his people, he does it um, by speaking his word and then promise. He seals that word with a promise. And then here in our chapter, we find that he not only gives us a promise, but an oath on top of it. Uh, if you just imagine uh, two boys uh, standing maybe on a, on a bridge over a creek, and they're maybe you know, 10, 12, 15 feet over. It's a long way down, and, and one boy is, is encouraging the other to jump. He's just gone, and now he's talking to his timid friend, and it's a blast. You're going to love it. Just go. And uh, the, the, the littler guy, is, he's nervous. He's, he's scared. And finally, the older one says, well, tell you what, it, uh, I'll go with you. We'll do it together. And, and the more timid one says, do you promise? Yeah, I promise. Do you swear it? Yeah, I swear it. Okay, let's go. Uh, that sort of assurance is what we, what we need when we're frightened. And that's exactly what God does for his people. The author here reminds his readers of an event that they would have known very, very well. Uh, it's about the great crisis of Abraham's faith when God told him to sacrifice his son, Isaac, the promised son, the son that they had waited for, for so long, uh, the son of, that, that God had now given to them in their old age. And God says, Abraham, I want you to take that son and, and sacrifice him. And, and so Abraham, in obedience and faith, goes up the mountain believing that God is able to raise the dead. And he, and he takes the knife and he, he's about to sacrifice his son. And God stops him in Genesis 22 and verse 16 through 18. God says this, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. God had already promised Abraham a, um, that he's going to be the father of nations back in chapter 17. But now he seals that promise with an oath. He swears by his own name. We've got to just grasp the, the significance of that. Um, people recognize that, that an oath is sort of the, the last, um, the, it's the thing that you can do to most assure that you mean what you say. So uh, in verse 16, people swear by something greater than themselves and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. It's the last word. Uh, it, in times past, in, in our country, people would used to, uh, they would have to, uh, if they're going to testify in a court of law, they had to put their right hand on the Bible and they had to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, recognizing that God was their witness. And they would take, they would take that oath. Well, what is God going to swear to? Uh, there's nothing greater than God, and so God swears by by himself, by myself I have sworn. Just noticing that what God is doing, he is attaching the immutable glory and honor in, of his own character to the promise that he's made. That if this fails, God himself, in a sense, has failed. God has been proven to be a liar if Abraham does not receive all that God had promised to him. And notice the impact, the impact, the effect that had on Abraham. Verse 15, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
You see, assurance gives you the ability to endure when life is hard. It gives you the ability to be patient, to wait on God, and and waiting on God then to obtain exactly the thing that God had promised. Uh, We we maybe can sometimes talk about Abraham's amazing faith, but Abraham's faith is is a very simple faith. Uh, God had spoken and God had promised and then God had sealed his promise with an oath and Abraham just took it then to be true. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Um, Abraham did not need more than what God had given to him. I just want you to think for a moment of the condescending love of God in doing this for Abraham. And the writer is saying he didn't just do it for Abraham, he did it for us. God has sworn an oath by himself concerning us, concerning our salvation, and the the incredible love of God in this. Imagine if... um, if I asked my wife, uh, you know, she's going to Meyer, and I, and I asked her to pick something up for me. And she says, okay, yeah, I'll, uh, you know, I'll do that. And I said, well, uh, do, you, do you promise? I think she'd look at me a little funny and say, okay, I guess so, I promise. And then I said, I want you to swear it. <laughs> right? Here's a piece of paper. I want you to sign your name. I want an oath. I think my wife would say, why don't you help yourself to Meyer? <laughs> right? She'd be offended by that. If her word wasn't enough for me, well, then go do it yourself. Well, God has told us in his word what he'll do for us. He's told us that he'll forgive our sin. He's told us that he um, has united us to Jesus Christ so that that, that death itself can't separate us from Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from Christ. He's told us that he's going to make us, uh, to give us a new heaven and a new earth, a home of righteousness, where we will go, be with God and with Jesus forever in a glorified body. He's told us he will do that. And he's promised. See, so often in our times of, uh, uh, of, of trial, our attitudes and our actions, uh, in a sense, say to God, do you mean it? Do you promise that you'll do this? in our fears, in our doubts. And and God is not offended, but God says, yes, I promise. And then when we face maybe even greater trials, we find ourselves again questioning the reliability of God's word. Do you swear it? And God with infinite condescending love says, by my own name, I swear it. Now, why would God do that? Well, the answer is in verse 17. Because he desires to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose. We have just an astounding insight here into the heart of God our Father. Our Father in heaven has this passion, this great desire to show us all the more convincingly, to convince us irrefutably of his unchanging, immutable purposes for us, to do us good, to bless us. He wants us to be so convinced of our glorious future that it produces patience and faith and calm and comfort and and strength because we know that we are the heirs of everlasting life. I think we make too little a thing of assurance. God makes a big deal of assurance. He wants his children to be convinced to the marrow of their bones that everything that God has said is not only true, but is immutably true for them in Jesus Christ. 
He wants us to know that He has an unchangeable purpose. Purpose before the foundation of the world. And that God has sworn an oath by Himself that what He purposed in eternity past will be accomplished in eternity future. God wants us to know that we stand then in this amazing destiny. Uh, the Bible talks like this. Paul says that we, you know, you've been destined to obtain salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. Ephesians 1. We've been predestined for adoption as sons. God has purposed to create you. He's purposed to give you to Jesus. That Jesus might be your Savior. That, and that He's purposed then to do everything necessary to bring you into the glorious eternity of a new heaven and a new earth. And God wants us to know this. To be convinced right now in the trials. One of the things that just struck me again, I was, I was talking with my brother Randy, uh, and, and just sharing how, you know, when the news comes, you have cancer, immediately the devil goes to work. Is God punishing you? Is there, right, then the devil will raise some, uh, the, the sin in your life. Well, this is, this is God finally dropping the shoe. This is, this is God finally saying, I've had it. And, and what are you going to say, right, when you, when you uh, come to the judgment throne? The devil's playing all these games. Well, what are you going to do when, when that happens to you? When the ballast of, of your boat shifts and, and you find yourself leaning precariously in your faith. Well, God wants us, you see, in that moment to be able to stand in the middle of the chaos of our world, in the midst of loss, in the midst of heartache, to stand there with faith and patience because we believe what He said. And we're holding fast to the hope that He set before us. We believe that God who has promised and sworn an oath will never change His mind. God wants us to have this assurance. And that's why He swore an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement, a strong comfort to hold fast to the hope set before us. God's Word and His immutable purpose are meant to provide for us this strong, mighty, invincible encouragement for us. And the encouragement is to lay hold then of the hope that we have in Christ. And this is for all those who've fled for refuge, who fled to Christ for refuge. It comes, of course, from the Old Testament, the cities of refuge, where if you accidentally killed someone, you could flee to a city of refuge and be protected there. Well, the Christian is someone who's fled to Jesus Christ for refuge. And the writer wants us to know that if you fled for Jesus Christ for refuge, God wants you to be fully convinced of His promise and purpose for you. And so we come then finally to our our hope, our assurance. Um, the writer wants us to lay hold of the hope set before us. And then he says in verse 19, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We have this, he says, this hope. And, and when he's talking about this hope, he's talking about the, the, the thing that God has promised to us. Uh, the thing that we, that we, we hunger for, we long for, the, the, the new heaven and the new earth. We're, we are, if we're a Christian pilgrim, we're not just looking for our life to be easy. We're, we're looking for a better country. 
We, we don't just want things to go well here and now. We want that, that more beautiful city, that more enduring kingdom where all the deepest satisfaction and longing of our heart is actually going to be fulfilled as we stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what we, that's what we hope for. That's our hope. And, and that's what is, is promised to us. And, and, and the writer is saying we have that, that hope, that conviction about those things as an anchor for the soul. And then he gives us this wonderful word picture. The imagery, um, when he's talking about this steadfast anchor of the soul, it comes from the ancient nautical world of the Mediterranean Sea. A commentator writes this. He says, the word forerunner is yet another of the nautical terms used in Hebrews. The particular word here, prodromos, is one that appears nowhere else in Scripture, but has to do with a familiar scene in the ancient world. Louis Talbot explains that Greek harbors were often cut off from the sea by sandbars over which the larger ships could not pass until the full tide came in. Therefore, a lighter vessel, a prodromos, a forerunner, would take the anchor, go over the sandbar, and drop the anchor into the harbor. From that moment, the ship was safe from the storm, though it had to wait for the tide before it could enter the harbor. The forerunner, carrying the ship's anchor, was the pledge that the ship would safely enter the harbor when the tide was full. It's a wonderful, wonderful image. That Jesus uh, entered into the, the boat of our life, right? He joined us in this, in this broken world. Uh, he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. He, he suffered as we do. He knows what living in this world is about. And then he left this ship to enter into the harbor of the new heaven and the new earth. But his departure was not an abandonment, it was a preparation. He went as the forerunner, the first fruit, the absolute guarantee that we will also one day enter the calm waters of that eternal shore. The, the writer is saying to us, how, how can you be confident as a Christian that you will go to heaven and that you will enter into the presence of God? Um, how do you know that is true? And your answer is because Jesus did. And I belong to him. Jesus has already entered the harbor. He's already there. And, and, and because he's there, I also will be there. He's the anchor. And even though I can't see him now, which would be absolutely true when that little prodromus takes the anchor, it drops it into the harbor. You don't see it. It disappears beneath the waves. And the writer says Jesus went into the most holy place. He disappeared behind the curtain. We do not see him now. But we know he's there. All we can see now are the lines, right, that... that, that that attach us to Him. And those lines are the lines of God's promise, God's oath. And they, th th that promise and that oath continually reminds us that though the anchor is unsee, it's there and it is our assurance. Um, that because Jesus is in the harbor, when the time is right and the tide rises, we also will go into the very presence of God. So friends, the writer and God Himself wants us to be absolutely confident because that anchor is there. And that, that anchor, the ropes that hold us to Jesus Christ, the, 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 the promise and oath of God, those, those ropes will never break. And so even when our faith feels weak, when we feel very, very um, insecure in our faith, um, 
the, the, the anchor is holding us fast. The, the, the promises of God that hold us to Jesus Christ will never let us go. And, be, and, and where Jesus is one day, we will be there as well. There's an, old, um, there's an old hymn that many of you probably know. I've anchored my soul in the haven of rest. I'll sail the wide seas no more. The tempest may sweep or the wild stormy deep, but in Jesus I'm safe evermore. Brothers and sisters, I don't know where you are tonight. Um, I do know that we are all going to experience storms and tempests and things that break your heart and things that, that make you wonder about God's providence and God's, God's purpose. You won't, you won't be able to figure out why this is happening to you. It'll be, it'll be something you, you, would, you would never uh, expected or you'd hope never to experience. And that might happen multiple times. Uh, children can die young. Loved ones, the same. Uh, you could be stricken with an illness. You can lose your job. Uh, we might face a time of persecution. And we, and we face things that we never thought we would face. This is, this is life in this world. This is the pilgrimage that God has called us to. It is critical that we are convinced of the purposes of God, that we are absolutely assured that the things that are happening are not mistakes, that God is inerringly at work, unerringly at work, with infinite wisdom and skill in all of it to get us to that safe harbor he's promised to bring us to. We have to be convinced of the, the, the people who are not convinced, the people who lose sight of their hope, are going to be, they're going to drift away. And so God wants you to be convinced. God wants you to be assured to lay hold of the hope that you have in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons he gives us a sacrament like we have tonight. Uh, this is visible, tangible evidence of the anchor um, that is Jesus Christ and all that he has accomplished for us. And so tonight as you come to the table... As you eat the bread and drink the wine, lay hold of your hope. Let God convince you that this is true for you in Jesus Christ. If you've confessed your sin, if you've fled to refuge to Jesus Christ, these are the things that are certain and immutably true for you. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, I thank you that you desire us to be convinced and assured and you give us reasons for it as you give us not only your word but your promise and not only your promise but your oath. And Father, we confess that we so easily doubt and we question your wisdom and your ways. And Lord, sometimes when the devil accuses us or our own conscience accuses us, we question whether you could love us still or love us enough to save us. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us as your people to have this hope as an anchor for our soul. That we, would, that we would know to the marrow of our bones that everything you've promised to us in Jesus Christ, we shall certainly, infallibly receive. I pray, Lord God, that, that this uh, conviction would give us patience, this conviction would give us joy, that we would not be tossed about um, by uh, the trials of our life, but we'd be able to trust you, to wait upon you, uh, to believe all that you've promised and spoken and, and all that you've sworn to in your own holy name, and to believe it, Lord, in a way that gives you honor and gives you glory 
and brings us safely home. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.